Our text this morning is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we, await, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So an odd thing happened this week, dealing with uh, the almost truth that uh, is probably nearest to my heart. It's the one that I hear the most often that bothers me. And as I was writing my sermon outline, uh, it all came out sarcastic, which is a defense mechanism for me in a form of humor that doesn't really work for me. And, and I redid it and tried to put it into a positive sense. But I'm very excited because though I wrote this sermon series months ago, um, I don't write the whole sermon out months ago, but I wrote the series months ago because I think we need to contend with statements that we've latched onto that are not direct from Scripture, that don't summarize the promises of God and who He is. Because these almost truths reveal not only past pain and agreements and resolutions that we've made to try and control our world, they also, they also reveal places where our theology is shallow. They reveal places where we have attempted to control our life, and we do that honestly. We come by those movements honestly, and yet, as we grapple with the actual promises and truths of God, and allow ourselves to untangle these almost truths from our minds and hearts, we find ourselves more able to experience the kingdom life Jesus purchased for us. What we do is, we think, oh, okay, I'll summarize things this way. God will balance my life right is not one that I've heard anyone say directly, but it's the positive version, the non-sarcastic version. What we do is, we summarize a statement about God, and then it's controlled. And we put it into a box, and we understand it, and we don't have to think about it anymore. And we come by that fatigue and frustration honestly, it's, it, it, it's a whole mixture of our very being and, and being a human in a world that's under a curse, as Paul talked about here in Romans 8, and very little in life, and certainly not with God works that way, that we can put it into a little box, control it, put it away, never have to think about it again. Oftentimes what I hear is um, a functional belief in, in karma. People say, you know, I had a really good day today, so tomorrow's probably not going to be so good. Everything happens for a reason, right? And a lot of problems with that statement semantically in, in little ways. People are inherently good, right? The universe is balanced, right? And there are all sorts of ways that people imply this and say it, and I do it myself. And what does the scripture say? 
Bereshit bara Elohim eight hashamayim va'et ha'eretz. In the beginning, or when God began to create the heavens and the earth. The Bible speaks so differently than, than uh, the way we can naturally think about the world. And, it, and what we're doing is looking for ways to control. And we come by those honestly. But as we break them down, I believe it's that much more the joy and the peace and the righteousness of God, which is Paul's way later in the book of Romans of describing the kingdom, they're more accessible to our being as we untangle these statements. Yeah, one of the other ways we do it is when talking about God. We'll say, I just feel like God is, or I just feel God is like. <laughs> and then we come up with some kind of, of summary or image or metaphor. When I think of God, I picture. We do this especially with the Trinity, but also with understanding the attributes and character of God. And yet he is Lord over all. He is Lord Sabaoth which means the Lord of heavenly armies. El Shaddai is such an old term that in a responsible Bible it will say traditional rendering almighty because it's one of the many names of God. Elohim was the one I used earlier. He is triune. He is outside of time. And that's why the, the beginning of the outline is simply God. I was tempted to post Julie Andrews this week. You can text me or email me later and say, you should have posted Julie Andrews. When we're starting with God, we start at the beginning of how he describes himself. You want me to sing it, don't you? That's not going to happen. How he describes himself. And then we move into his description of us and how we function in the world and therein is life. And God has made promises. I don't know if you caught all of these In verse 18, which is, by the way, not about heaven, this is about the glory of the earth as Jesus makes it new and calls us into agency there. In verse 19, it states that the creation is being, will will be resurrected and is even now being renewed following us. So our salvation leads the entire earth into redemption. Verse 20 is a terrific description of how broken the world is. It is not just that people are sinful. It is also that the creation was subjected to futility. When Adam and Eve stopped trusting the good heart of God, the entire world entered into a curse. In verse 21, there's a promise. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Again, the world follows us in being saved and then made new. Verse 22 is another description of the brokenness of the world. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now because Jesus came in the flesh, changing everything. Verse 23 is the promise of our adoption that is awaiting fulfillment. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that salvation, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So we've been adopted. Paul talks about this earlier in this very chapter of Romans. But we wait for that adoption to be fully fulfilled when we're released from the power. We already are released from the power of sin and death, but we're released from its presence when Jesus returns. 
Verse 24 talks about purpose. And verse 25 encourages us to wait with patience. God has made promises to us. He has made covenants that are true. And not waiting with patience, verse 25 describes waiting with patience, not waiting with patience is adopting trite sayings that reduce God in our minds to some kind of idea, some kind of uh, shallow understanding of someone who transcends time, has always existed Exists in three persons, created everything. And we do this a little bit to avoid grappling. We sometimes do it to help others. We do it to control our world. And it's, but it's good to grapple. And I don't know about you, but I knew a year ago that I didn't really have any control, though we're given immense influence and power in this world. <laughs> Not much is ours to control, but perhaps that truth is even more evident to us. So here's the almost truth that I hear people say. Doesn't everybody suffer? And everyone does suffer. But here's when people say it to me, contextually, this is what I hear. Doesn't everyone suffer the same? No. And I think that we believe this in a moment And it does not serve our hearts. It does not serve our neighbor. It is not what God has said. I think we're trying to convince ourselves that the pain we've experienced is not that bad. Listen, 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 listen. This is me yelling. You know that, right? When I repeat myself. It was that bad. And I don't want you to feel bad about it. But I don't want you to, through trying to compare your pain to someone else's or vice versa... Attempt to squash it. Because what happens when we squash it? What happens when we take a statement like this? Doesn't everyone suffer the same? And we're trying to press away the pain as though we didn't experience it. Or maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. The pain that you've experienced was a big deal. And part of the reason that we do that is we don't want to wallow in it. And I don't want you to wallow in it either. And I don't want to wallow in mine. But the biblical path to not wallowing is not to convince ourselves that we weren't harmed. The biblical path to healing and joy and real life is not to dismiss internally what happened. It's not to attempt to compare our pain to someone else's so so that they're convinced or we're convinced, I don't know which one's worse, that it wasn't that big of a deal. Comparison of pain is never helpful. In fact, I think it's always harmful. That doesn't mean we don't seek to understand one another. That's actually one of the many things that we block when we start comparing people's pain. We try and shove it down and it leaks out of our elbows through our temper, through some extra shopping or drinking or eating. And some of you haven't suffered a great deal because we do not all suffer the same. No way. God doesn't balance it out. The universe is not balanced in the way that we could intellectually understand balance in terms of everybody getting the same lot in life. That is not the case. I thought about using a scripture that's a little more about the purpose of suffering than Romans 8, but I I love that Romans 8 transcends the question, blows right past it. As Christians, we're taught to be prepared 
for suffering, even to, to wait for it, but not wait for it as in we're going to suffer like everyone else. Wait for it in the hope that God was good before, is good during, and will continue to be good until we fully experience that the context of this is about the collision of heaven and earth. Jesus' return. One of the many, many problems with how much we talk about heaven and hell is how much more often the Bible talks about the new heavens and the new earth. And the reason that's problematic is not only because we're not being very biblical when we over-focus on heaven and hell, but we miss the connection between how we live now in response to God's love and how that will matter somehow in the new heavens and the new earth. God has made promises that we understand and experience in different ways. As I mentioned last week, a good friend of mine asked, what does it mean to flourish? She knows that I love this word as a description of the with God life. It looks like flourishing. What does it mean to flourish in a pandemic? It means, among other things, we set aside trite sayings and we learn to practice the practices of the with God life. It means we do some untangling of truisms, almost truths, that really are our lies in some measure. We set those aside and we go to the promises of God. Even when we're suffering similarly. So th- this is... this. The challenge of preaching this particular sermon in a pandemic is tweaked a little bit because in many ways we're suffering similarly. Most of us are experiencing isolation, even if you're going into work. There's still a great deal that's different about that. And yet, as we go through something similar, and we are in this together, I hope that you know that. I hope you have community through the church that you're discussing this with. A good friend of mine who's planting a church up in Haverhill asked what I miss And we had just had a really good men's Bible study that had a Zoom crasher, but I caught him, kicked him out very quickly, like within one second. Thanks to Matt Pascucci, Joseph Lehman, Aaron Abbott. But I did it, you know, with my iPad. Anyway, my friend asked just after that, what do I miss? And I said, I miss turning my head when someone's sharing about the gospel in their own life. We're in this together and we're suffering similarly and yet we have different wounds and different tendencies and different ways that we're grappling with our life in light of this. Uh, Someone went uh, grocery shopping and asked if I wanted anything and I said I I would take some comfort food and received two boxes of Cheez-Its. That was on a Sunday afternoon. They were gone by Monday night. Two boxes. And I think my wife had a handful. My younger daughter had one. Uh, The rest of that was me. What is suffering, by the way? And I think we all define suffering differently, and I think we need a big definition of it, not because we want to feel bad, but because we want to be gripped by the healing power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And to do that in the real world, we need to define suffering biblically. So we had a couple of descriptions in Romans 8 of the broken world to to speak a little bigger even than that. Suffering is every felt interaction with the curse. And I know that's not grabbable because we're going to go ahead and and deal with some thick, true things about God and how he has explained himself in the scriptures. Suffering is every felt interaction with the curse, every place where the shalom of God has been violated. Every place where the shalom of God is violated. 
It can be absence in relationship. It can be war, sickness, the harm we do with our hands or our words. Where there is no shalom of God, there is suffering. Where the shalom of God has been violated, that's suffering. And the reason I wanted to talk about suffering is we sort of believe this lie that God's going to balance everything. We sort of believe this lie that everyone suffers the same instead of doing the work. And the work earns us nothing. The work is for our own hearts to believe more firmly in the goodness and character and steadfast love of the Lord. I want to offer you a couple of encouragements Lament is a gift. It is the most common form of psalm. And it will actually help us heal our heart. God can take it. Urban Dictionary defines lament as complaining to God, especially about the job he's doing from our vantage point. And sometimes our theology gets in the way. And one of the saddest ironies is when our theology blocks us from doing what's modeled in the scriptures. I want to offer that the Psalms are better for your heart than Facebook. I'm not trying to get you off Facebook. It's one of the ways we connect with one another. But sometimes we're going to it in extra time, and it's because our hearts are anxious. And the prayer book of Jesus in the middle of your Bible, the songs of the people of God for 3,000 years, lead us to speak to our soul in ways that will actually calm and quiet it. Friendship is going to uh, help and heal us more than social media. I don't want you to get off. I love social media, sort of, sometimes. But man, a good long conversation with a friend. If you're sick of Zoom, use the phone. The TikTok box works for the phone too, right? Doesn't it? They still do. His promises are better than trite statements. His promises are better than almost truths. And his promises are better than the lies that we love. And the reason that we love them is they make us feel a little more in control. But the truth, which is so much more freeing, is that we don't have any control. But we've, we've been given influence and power in our lives. I hope that you read the Psalms this week. Many of you are already doing this, by the way. I know that. You've told me. I'm so glad. Be encouraged. Continue to be gripped by the Psalms. Continue to let them pray you. Continue to perhaps begin to write your own Psalms. I, uh, I sat down yesterday uh, with my wife, and I knew she had been talking with her parents earlier, and I like her parents, so I sat down. I said, how are your parents? She said, they're good. I asked her a couple more questions, and she goes, you're a little bit anxious, aren't you? Because I was talking fast and loud and more directly than I needed to. It's not like I wasn't going to see her for the rest of the day and could find these things out. And so what did I do? I went downstairs uh, to our basement where I have a giant whiteboard that helps me focus when I pray. And before I prayed for a number of folks, some of you, I wrote a lament. Because... I don't want to, in the name of good theology, ignore what's modeled in the scriptures, which is learning to express life as I actually experience it to God.
Last week we looked at, does God give us more than we can handle? If we're not allowed to wordsmith that, if we're not allowed to get semantic with the words, what does handle mean and give? If we're going to accept that everything that we understand about God has to be received through the condescension of the fact that he has no limits and we have limits, if all that's true, does God give us more than we can handle? Yep. Why? So that we know we need him and turn to him and he gives us new life. Does everybody suffer the same? No. And when we realize that we're freed into a flourishing life, even in pandemic, I hope that you know how to praise and how to lament, which, by the way, are intertwined. There are a couple of psalms, more than a couple. There there are more than a few psalms that are almost entirely dark, but most of them are a mixture, because isn't that us? Can't we all think of something that we're grateful for and something that's painful or frustrating? So my hope in bringing up almost truths like, doesn't everyone suffer? Yes, doesn't everyone suffer the same, which is what we mean by it? No, is that we press in and allow God to heal us, fill us with new life, make us more aware and more gripped of his steadfast love. So if you prayed... The the, the way that I like to pray the Psalms, this is a very old practice. I certainly didn't make it up. Many of you were doing this before you met me. But if you prayed Psalm 19 today and then followed that to Psalm 49, which you do is pray the day of the month that it is, and then you add 30 until you get to the end of the Psalms and you'll end up praying five Psalms that day. And if Psalm 119 is intimidating, you can pray Psalm 119 on the 31st day, which I think happens either four or five times a year. I should know that, but I don't. So if you did that this morning, you came across Psalm 109, 21. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. Both a request and a reminder that his love is a covenanting love. Chesed. In the Hebrew, if you do this on Monday, you will not come across the steadfast love of the Lord, but you will come across the name of God in Psalm 20, verse 1. Do you know that in the Psalms, every time you see Lord and it's all caps, have you ever wondered what that is? Many of you know. That's the personal name of God, which he gives to us because we receive intimacy with him in the with God life. If you pray these Psalms on Tuesday, the 21st, you'll come across Psalm 21, 7. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. If you pray it on Wednesday, you'll see in uh, chapter 22 that you're delighted in. And then when you come to Psalm 52, right there at the beginning, David has come to the house. Why do you... Boast of evil, O mighty man, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. On Thursday, by the end of your psalm reading, you'll come to Psalm 143, verse 8. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. On Friday, it'll be Psalm 144. He is my steadfast love and my fortress. 
my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. And on Saturday, you'll come across Psalm 25. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. What it means to flourish in the with God life is to learn to speak to him and about him to our own soul and to our friends as he speaks about himself in his word. And he loves us with a steadfast, covenanting, always and forever, never giving up love. Would you pray with me? God, we long to grapple with the truth. We long for you, Holy Spirit, to untangle the resolutions, agreements, almost truths and lies that we believe. And help us then to be gripped by the fact that you are a refuge and a rock and a steadfast pursuer and lover of your people. And as we're gripped by that, Lord, you draw us into flourishing life where we are able and willing and freed to love you and the people in our living room and our neighbors. Amen.